0: You are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns
1: podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: How is everybody doing this evening? We are on to the Thanksgiving Day episode of Locked On Browns. And look, just like anything in the life, what do you do? You get together with family. And what do we do for the Locked On Browns family? I reached out to Jared Mueller, brought him back here this evening. We're gonna get down, break some, you know, break down some Browns, front office team, all that good stuff. We do have a new sponsor here at Lockdown Browns, uh, the Fantasy Draft App Draft. Um, what makes it a little different than anybody else is they go by the snake draft formula. One of the cool things about that with draft is you know when you play the daily and the salaries, and this is obviously daily as well, but when you play from the salary standpoint, you know, you may have similar rosters to some of your opponents. It's not gonna happen with draft. You're going strictly, you know, through the snake draft. So, look, if Antonio Brown's your guy this week and that's who you're going with in round one, nobody else is going to have him. So, it's kind of different. You know, I'll give it a little bit more and give you a promo code a little bit later on that. But uh, something to look out for. I already have a league set up. So, hit me up. Uh, Locked on Browns has their own account there. I've got a league set up for tomorrow. Just playing Thanksgiving games. So, anybody interested, you know, mom, dad, crazy Aunt Caroline, Uncle Victor, who maybe drinks too much in the corner you can escape with your phone, you know, check on, see how you do it in the fantasy. But without further ado, and this is news to me, did not know about this today. Apparently, I'm bringing back the rabbi of Lockdown Browns, Jared Mueller. And look, before I let Jared go, I just want everybody to know, me and Jared, we've been tight for a while. And when actually this was offered to me, and I researched the pod and everything, I kind of went to Jared and just you know made sure there was no stepping on, no toes, we're still cool, we're boys. Jared just decided to go another direction with his you know with himself and his life. But Jared, come on. Welcome back, bud.
1: Hey man, I appreciate it. It's good to be home, you know, back where back where I started the pod and feel really good about where it's handed off to you and the direction you're taking it, man. So it's good to be back. Love our browns and you know, just an opportunity to talk about them on, on a Thanksgiving special uh before, you know, eating a bunch of food and Whatever conversations might come from that, I will actually be in Cleveland for a couple of days, and then in Sandusky for a couple of days. So I'll be back in my old stomping grounds in northern Ohio, uh, but home in southern Ohio right now.
0: Nah, that's great to hear. And uh, and, and the one thing I do want to express to you is, you know, you know, sometimes you know, shifts of podcasts and things of that nature. Uh, you've been nothing but a friend. You've been nothing but supportive, and I just want to make sure everybody knows that. And you know, I appreciate it tons of respect and you know you were one of the guys that kind of you know basically walked me into this cleveland circle and said look you know jeff doesn't know what he's doing here yet with you guys but trust <laughs> me once he finds his way you guys are going to appreciate that so jared i truly appreciate uh you know thank you for that uh no you know, problem all, you and the family have a great holiday um when is the last time you you uh when's the last time you spewed out a show how long's it been
1: Oh, it's been a few months. Oh, yeah, it's been three, five, four or five months. It's been a while since. So my... what,
0: preseason yeah. or even before that?
1: Uh, I think it was actually before preseason. Uh, change of jobs and a little bit of extra family and life stress. And and my mouth has been somewhat closed, a few radio spots here and there. But it has been mostly just my writing on the OBR. So. Okay, so uh
0: got about yeah. five months of uh, takes wrapped up in you. Um, <laughs> there's a lot to do. Uh, in and the one thing I keep stressing to everybody is, you know, is don't ever use the term rebuild because rebuild implies something was built. Um, <laughs> the other thing I'm going to keep stressing is do not judge this team by the record right now. Yes, 0-10. And, and, you know, anybody who wants to laugh about that, they're certainly watching games on Sunday and seeing that there is some progression here at some key spots, some very key spots. I guess, and, you know, I went to you here. I want to make this like it's a give and take, but it's two and two of us. Uh, you know you brought up you know the process where it 's at um roster front office head coach uh Jared, without further ado i mean you 've had five months. go ahead what you got
1: you know for me and uh those who have been long term listeners of lockdown browns for me it 's all about looking at at things in a holistic uh kind of perspective, I think. In our world today, we, we get so focused on wins and losses, and obviously even the dumb things like quarterback wins. And I had somebody tell me jokingly about, uh, well, they had, they started a playoff game, so that mattered. I think with the Browns, the, the issue is besides uh, just kind of how it's seen is, is really when it's about expectations. And I think for the Browns, the reality is the last two years have been all about trying to figure out what a foundation would be They've blown it up so many times and they've not only just blown it up, but they've never really they've blown it up in a way that it it never it's always a full restart at some level. And so those restarts have looked different. Uh, Some people going via the draft, some people uh, trying to bring in some high paid free agents to kind of speed up the process. But the problem is is every rebuild basically has been starting over from scratch. Uh, we've gone from 3-4 four, to 4-3 four, and then back. Uh, offenses who are focused on West Coast, uh, down the field, all those kind of things. And so the last two years have been really about uh, building a foundation. And I think where I'm currently at with where the Browns are does side in a lot of ways with where the front office has been. They came in. They had a plan. They had an idea. And that idea really had nothing to do with winning in the first couple of seasons. It had everything to do with two things. One, winning a Super Bowl at some point in time. And two, winning and being good for years and years and years and years. And so, unfortunately, many Browns fans, because of the way other organizations have been, where they've had a coach for four, five, six, seven, eight years, then they made a switch but didn't decide to just scrap everything. Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh is a perfect example. Came in as a 4-3 defensive coordinator and really just a 4-3 guy. Came to Pittsburgh, which has been a 3-4 defense since uh, I've been alive, you've been alive, and we're generally a little bit older than most of the people uh, listening to this pod on Twitter and all that kind of stuff. And Mike Tomlin, Tomlin walked in and said, you know what, this is a 3-4 defense. 3-4 defenses can work. I'm not going to scrap that to do it my way. And so Pittsburgh didn't have to restart. Now, do they have new concepts, a little bit different here and there? Yeah, absolutely. But Mike Tomlin didn't come in and say, we're going to scrap all of this, start over new, get rid of players who only fit into a 4-3 or 3-4. He really looked at what was going well, what worked, what they had, what the foundation was, and built off of that, and it worked. The Browns have never had that opportunity, have never done that, and so because of that, they don't have anybody. They they just had no foundation, and I'm not even talking about great players or even good players. They didn't have players. They didn't have people who uh, could run down on special teams and not hold uh, when they were trying to block or run down on special teams and actually stay in their lanes and make a tackle. They just didn't have those people. They had people that were uh, coming in new, coming in fresh, um, off the street, random guy here, random guy there. They just never had that solid foundation. And so the, the front office's goal is really, really simple. We need a foundation. We need something to build on that will allow us to, A, hopefully at some point in time, win a Super Bowl. And that means we need a bunch of elite players, but we also need just a structure, a foundation underneath of it, and B, be good for a long time. We can bring in some random couple free agents, Dante Whitner, Paul Kruger, Carlos Stansby, but those only work if you have some talent around them. And so the front office has really tried to do that. They wanted to win a few more games this year, and I still think they have a chance. The problem for me really is Hugh Jackson, and I don't even care at this point about the fact that he's throwing everybody under the bus in the front office. He's thrown his players under the bus. He's thrown his other coaches under the bus. I think the only person he hasn't thrown under the bus in a strong way is Greg Williams. And he might just be afraid of him.
0: (laughs) I would, I would guarantee it.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, besides Greg, I'm not sure he hasn't thrown anybody under the bus. And then even, and I know you and Pete talked about it uh, on Friday's podcast or Mondays, um, then he threw himself under the bus by in his dumb press conference uh, where he said, um, it's my job, we have the talent, we're just not getting it done kind of thing. But the reality is, is we saw Hugh Jackson make more adjustments for Cody Kessler and Kevin Hogan at quarterback then he's made for Deshaun Kaiser. And that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my entire life. You make adjustments and you make things work around your high level or at least highest drafted quarterback, whether you like Kaiser or not, there are things that he can do. Okay. Well, whatever terms you want to use. Instead, Hugh continues to seem me like, he wants to do the square peg round hole bullcrap. crap. He's done it with Isaiah Crowell. He's done it with Duke Johnson. Um, you know, all of those kind of things. And so I'm not saying even that Hugh Jackson is a bad head coach. Uh, all my old listeners know, but for the new L.O.B. listeners, uh, I'm a mental health professional. I've done it for 16 years. That's what I do. I talk, I ask questions, I evaluate and analyze people. From the outside looking in, it looks like Hugh Jackson has decided to try to see how much power he can have, how much blame he can place on the front office, how much can he win, not in the game. But win kind of these power struggles and these kind of political battles and those kind of things, because nothing else makes sense to me to put Cody Kessler in a position again last year, there were people who thought, hey, let's build around Cody Kessler. He can be Kirk Cousins. Worst case, he can be Brian freaking Hoyer. And that's because Hugh Jackson put him in a position to be successful. Three-step drops, quick release, get the ball out, accuracy, all that kind of stuff. Well, we got Kevin Hogan because Cody Kessler gets hurt. Oh, we're going to run the ball, zone read, a lot of those things. He runs for over 100 yards against the Bengals, who at the time last year had a pretty good defense or a decent defense. So you can do that with these crappy players, but then you have a second-round pick who some crazily thought could be a number one pick Prior to last season, I'm one, I'm one.
0: He was my QB
1: one. He was your QB one. I like, I liked him. I think there were some issues, but you have that guy and you're going to have him throwing everything down the field and you're going to not run the ball. So you're going to have him throwing the ball 30 to 40 times in some games. It just doesn't make sense to me. And so that tells me something else has to be going on, right? When you can't explain something. And I'm going to ask you the question, can you explain it? If you can't explain something easily, you go one of two directions. You either go conspiracy theory, which I'm kind of going at, or ignorance and and you're just bad. So I don't know which one is me giving you the benefit of the doubt, but he's either really, really bad and lost the ability to adjust to his quarterback and to his running back and the players on the field or not putting the players on the field. Or, there's some kind of conspiracy, there's some kind of something else going on here in year two, where maybe Hugh doesn't feel like he has enough power, maybe Hugh thought he could uh, suck in a little bit more power, maybe he could be kind of Belichickian, in that he can decide who's running things, and really, in the end, he can run things. It's one or the other. And at this point in time, I think the problem with that, overall, is that Browns fans look at the field and go, is there talent? It's 0-10. Is there talent on the field? Well, no, you make Isaiah Corral look horrible. Why would you have him run the routes or run the, um, the runs that he's not as good at? Why would you do that? Why would you have a rookie quarterback throwing the ball 30 or 40 times unless you had some ulterior motive eh, or you're an idiot? And I would assume Hugh Jackson is not an idiot. Uh, He's gotten where he is for a reason. And so I assume he has some ulterior motives. But for fans, well, yeah, Isaiah Crowell looks horrible because you're having him do something he's not good at. It's like asking me to sit quietly for more than, I don't know, my wife would say two minutes, but for more than 15 minutes. I'm an extrovert. I like to talk. Not going to happen, right? Don't ask me to do that. If you're judging Jared as a human being based on my ability to shut up I'm going to fail. Well, he was Hugh Jackson has done that pretty much all year with his players. So let me ask you, Jeff, why, what, what is it about Hugh? Is he, is it a conspiracy? Is he stupid? Is he a bad coach? What, what do you see when you look at where the Browns are now as an 0 10 team?
0: I think the biggest problem Hugh has, I think he, he's somewhere along the line, gotten caught up in the wins and losses. And, I noticed it in the Jet game where he tried to take the lead there late in the game as opposed to just taking the chippy field goal. Look, Gonzalez has not been consistent. It was a chip field goal. Gonzalez should have made it. He probably would have made it. It would have been 10-10, and you were now putting the game in the hands of the best part of your franchise, which was the defense. The defense that they played, it was Miles Garrett. Everybody was fired up. You know, Jets most likely would have gotten the ball to 25 on a touchback, and you put it in their hands. I think the defense was a little deflated. Jets went down the field and that was it. Sayonara, ball game over. I think he's caught up in the record where mm. that is not what he's hanging his hat on. He's hanging his hat on the development of Deshaun Kaiser. He's hanging his hat on the development of David Njoku. Obviously, you know, Corey Coleman missing the time that he missed, you know, certainly hurt because, you know, that was you know, Kenny Britt, that was just an absolute fart of a free agent signing. <laughs> he should be gone. He should have been gone weeks ago. I don't want to hear about it, but, you know, so maybe it left him a little shorthanded. But look, the problem is, is your defense is good and is progressing where it's going to be good for a while. And this is what you talked about, the sustainability of being a good franchise for a while from the front office, office standpoint. That's there. It, it, you can already see it. Everybody seems to be complete agreement on that that this defense, it's going to be – it's an issue now. They are good. It's going to, They're going to be a problem for opposing teams for a time to come. So then you look at Hugh, who's the offensive guy, and you, know, you see Deshaun having his hiccups and Hugh pulling him, especially after you come out and <laughs> say – once you gave him the job and say, you're my guy. We'll deal with the ups and downs. We know you're a rookie. We know you're only 21. And then all of a sudden you start pulling him because – There are some, you know, obviously it's been more lows than highs with Deshaun. But you said that wasn't going to be an issue. You expected it. So, you know, I think Hughes got caught up in the record. And, look, there's no difference between 1-31 or 3-29 or 4-28 when you're a head coach. There's not. He needed these young guys to look better. He needed to show, you know, use Duke more. And even if it's only home run plays that you're calling for Duke, Look Crowell is not going to be here next year. If you want to ground him into the dirt, that's fine. He's not going to be a part of the 2018 franchise, but that's where he's hurt himself and I think maybe he got caught up in the record and maybe he looked across and realized that defense was good and you know but somehow some way I, I think he just kind of withered down in what he was here to do. And look, when you have Greg Williams, who has the resume that he has. This was kind of essentially two head coaches. Greg handled the D, Hugh had the O. One of them's getting the job done. The other one isn't.
1: Yeah, and I think that um, Greg and Hugh talked about being in competition and training camp and all of that. Hugh is losing that. Even if the Browns were winning games, Hugh is losing. And listen, none of us like to lose. I'd, I love competing. I don't care less about losing, winning Per se, but I wonder how much that plays a role. I think you're you're really dead on. There is, it's even if the record was better, Hugh was still losing. If we won games, it would be because of Greg Williams' defense, not Hugh Jackson and his offense. I wonder how that plays a role in his pride and and the way he thinks about the game.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. It's you, know, it's just in a tough spot, and you know, and maybe Hugh. Look, I'm not saying he doesn't didn't deserve the head coaching opportunity or doesn't deserve another head coaching opportunity. But, you know, he's put in here and he was given an offense of, you know, babies. And, you know, not that Greg wasn't, you know, Greg had some good young players, but it's working out better for Greg, but maybe Hugh needed, you know, the stint where he had the Raiders and it was it was a little bit easier. They got Carson Palmer in and it was just so much more like, well, you know, you, you are an established guy. It's so much easier to work with you on setting up a game plan, whereas maybe it's just Hugh setting up the game plan and Kaiser nodding along, like "All right, coach, whatever you say, we're going to run this this week." But he's just been put in a tough spot, and obviously, you know the fact that some of the front office guys are leaving before five o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, that didn't—I <laughs> mean, you kind of know where it came from. You kind of know who <laughs> leaked that type of stuff, um, and and then all of a sudden, you want to. The front office is built a D. They've built an offensive line. You have Corey Coleman. They still have Josh Gordon circling in the wings and a whole bunch of draft capital. Um, I don't think this front office said, oh, my God, we got to go to Cincinnati and get A.J. McCarron. There was really only one guy in the building who knew of A.J. McCarron who maybe was high on him, and we all know who that guy was. And, you know, the front office, whoa, whoa. whoa. We built up all this capital. We built <laughs> A, B, and C. And you want to spend some of this capital for H. A. McCarron? So what? We can maybe win two games down the stretch, which was no guarantee. Because you look at San Francisco; they got Garoppolo. He still ain't starting there yet. Uh, he's just dug himself a hole, and you know, I think he just he got himself into a bad spot. And it's just to the point now where, it, it, you know, this marriage is not working. Uh, I think Haslam's to the point where even where he realizes it, whether it'll be admitted or not. But uh, something's going to be moved on from here, and it's got to be Hugh.
1: And I think, I think the really interesting thing you point to there is I think the front office has tried to figure out what works best for Hugh and what Hugh is looking for and, and how he might fit. The example I use, and Pete and I disagreed on this a little bit, but when you look at the wide receiver additions, you have Sammy Coates, uh, you have Casean Williams, um, and then you add that Ricardo Lewis um, and maybe even a little bit Kenny Britt the front office really added a bunch of guys who run down the field straight ahead pretty fast. And so that fits into Hugh Jackson wanting to throw the ball down the field to people running basically nine routes. They're running straight down the field, those kind of things. And so, um, and then even the the rejected A.J. McCarron trade, obviously the front office is, is not going to love a two and a three for A.J. McCarron. But, hey, let's see if we can make this work because Hugh Jackson wants it. And so I think what you see there is the front office – trying to kind of come a little bit hugh's way and i just don't think you see that from Hugh. i think when we talk about everybody wants a stupid football guy whatever that actually is i see i think you see a football guy who's not willing to move he's not willing to adjust he's not willing to work with what the front office has given him because the front office has given him a defense and an offensive line that screams run the ball, 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 ball, throw it deep once, right? And so – but Hugh doesn't like a two, three, four-yard run. He just doesn't like them. And so while the front office has tried to come Hugh's way a little bit, a lot of the decisions, especially at the wide receiver position and then AJ and even Deshaun Kaiser with the big arm, seem to be the front office trying to do some things that work for Hugh. And I just don't see Hugh trying to do anything – to work with the front office, make things work, run the ball because we spent a lot of money on the offensive line. So that's where for me, it's even less about who's right and wrong. And it's more about what are you doing with it, right? I don't care what scraps you give me on the freaking TV show Chopped. Am I going to complain about the scraps? we am going to make the best meal I can with whatever is in the basket. And Hugh has looked at the basket and go, I don't know if I can work with this. There's no, there's no vegetables, and uh, so I'm going to try to make a vegetable souffle with no vegetables. Like, come on, man.
0: Well, that's what you – I mean, that's where, you know, I what, what got me excited about the Detroit game. You know, Sammy Coates kind of had a calling card coming out of Auburn. One of the few things he did well in Pittsburgh, he got deep. Boom, hit him. You know, Rashard Higgins, he's not the true vertical guy like the rest of the guys. He looked good on some thirds downs, finding the sticks. And, and and you know and like you said had a good offensive line. Let's run the ball. You know Deshaun Kaiser's gaff right before the half. Yes, as terrible as it was, they came out after after halftime, and everybody to the man almost looked like, look, we got the kid here. We're gonna run this ball. We're gonna shove the ball down their stinking throats, and they did. Mm-hmm. And you know, and even when Deshaun went down, all of a sudden now you saw some guys like, oh man, Kaiser's down. I don't know if it was Hugh so much, you know, because maybe, you know, you know, just the play caller mentality. But you saw the guys on that offense like, oh, crap, we're in trouble now. Like they were, you know, it all of a sudden became and some other guys have brought this up, you know, and and Pete will go with the, you know, varsity blues where they left the coach, (laughs) you know, left the coach in the locker room. Like, look, we'll get it done together. And that's what you saw after that. So, I mean, it's been a tough road that way. Uh, I do want to say, guys, now is a great time. Go ahead, subscribe to Locked On Browns. Five-star reviews are always nice. Thanksgiving present for your host, Jeff here. Could appreciate it more if you go ahead and do that right now. But like I said, uh, our uh, one of our new sponsors, uh, Draft uh, Draft.com on the, uh, on the app, Draft. What makes it different than you know DraftKings and all the other ones is it is a snake draft. So you can target your guys, and if you get them, nobody else is going to have them. Your roster is unique from everybody else you're playing against. Go ahead, Locked On Browns. I'm already in there. I have a league set up for everybody. You know, $3 league, $5 something chippy, like I said, on Thanksgiving. You know, we're going to do the three games tomorrow. You pick your lineups for those six teams. Uh, They're different from everybody else in the fact that they go the snake draft route. Uh, you know, small, large wagers. They've got them all. But go ahead, check out uh, Draft.com. Check out the Draft app. You know, it's a fun thing. I'm a big fantasy guy. And for me, most of my fantasy leagues are auction or, you know, obviously, you know, a keeper type of leagues. I'm not doing so great this year. So I'm actually looking forward to this. I can kind of wet my whistle and I can hang my hat on a win on Sunday night as opposed to knowing that most of my fantasy leagues are over. But we'll do this daily, you know, uh, as the season goes on. We'll get this all st- uh, set up, you know, going through week 17. Uh, still here with Jared Mueller. Uh, Jared, let's go with this one. Josh Gordon, where are you at?
1: Hmm. Everybody well, got
0: excited today. Yeah, I'm actually today?
1: working on a piece for the Orange and Brown Report. Um, little plug, the OBR.com. Um, but uh, I'm working on a piece on that. But I think the reality with Josh Gordon is it's great to get excited we know what he has been physically as an athlete. We know what he still can be. He's not that old. Um, he's really young, actually. Um, but the reality for a lot for me is we have to pump the brakes. Yeah, well, we'd love to have him out there next week. Sure, for all the snaps. Great. Unfortunately, there is a complete difference between being in really good shape and being in game shape. And so my worry for Josh Gordon is going to be soft tissue injuries, those kind of things. And then the reality is, is people don't change. And I and I don't mean that small. I mean that really in the large way is that it's really difficult for people to change who they are. I think Josh can stay off substances. That's actually not what I'm talking about. But Josh has had a habit of uh, maybe a little bit similar to Terrell Pryor last year in that he was a target monster. Now, great, he's immensely talented. But he was really a target monster in that there was nobody else for the team to throw to. They targeted him 120-some times in, like, 12 games. Uh, and so he made a lot of impact like that way. But he also got bored a lot. His routes got lazy. Uh, when things weren't going his way, he gave up. He called him, got out of the game uh, because he just ran a nine-round. He didn't want to run back, basically. So he has a lot of those things that I think are going to be really difficult for him to, to improve on with a losing team and a losing culture. And so, uh, that really is my biggest concern for him. He's an athletically gifted freak. Can he stay healthy and can he stay engaged? Uh, and really, you know, none of us, even as a professional, uh, none of us really should have a lot to say about his off the field stuff. We know the Browns can't trust, uh, him, not, doesn't matter what he says. Um, The reality is they just can't trust him. They can't depend on him um, at this point in time, but hopefully off the field, he gets his stuff together. It's on the field that we just have to be worried about. Again, the injury possibility, and then just whatever consistency uh, that he can show on the field, because if he shows it, it's going to be an amazing pairing between him and Corey Coleman. uh, If Njoku ever gets on the field uh, and then Duke Johnson, (laughs) I think the Browns have an amazing offensive array of talent. How Hugh chooses to use him, what routes and all of that are going to be really, really interesting, especially coming back, uh, being off for so long.
0: Well, and that's the thing. And, you know, you brought up the injury thing. And that's, you know, you have to look at him right now. You know, there's no way he can stop the fact that he's trying to make up for three years on the first route he runs. You know, obviously (laughs) it's going to be a week from Sunday. It, It should be a week from Sunday you know, he's going, you know, he's going to want to go 80 yards for a touchdown. That leads you know, hamstrings, calves, groins, whatever. And, you know, and then the other thing is the reliability. Uh, Look, I mean, I I know addicts, uh, you know, I know the daily struggle that they go through and it's, you know, clearing it and getting yourself 110% sober. It's like tipping over a Coke machine. You know, it's a process. And this is a different thing where he, it's not like he's, you know, has a nine to five and after two years on a Friday night, he screwed up, had a few drinks, you know, whatever. And then was able to go back to work Monday morning. Josh Gordon screws up. This is it. It's it's completely 100% over. He will not play in the NFL again. So the other thing is, is with an addict, when you have the pressure of the, you know, knowing that you were near your final step. And that's what Josh has to deal with. Um, Maybe it's better that now all of a sudden most of the people that Josh was part of with this franchise, they're not around anymore. And, you know, some of these young guys, they're looking at Josh Gordon like, man, you know, I remember, you know, I I watched you play. Holy crap. I mean, like they know how good he is. So maybe that's a good thing. And, you know, that he doesn't have his running mates. Um, And you can see, I know some of the people are already chasing him around and, oh, he was out, yada, yada, yada. I got to be honest. I think, you know, every time Josh Gordon unzips his pants and he's ready (laughs) to go to the bathroom, there's somebody there with a Petri dish trying to catch some of it. So, you know, look, but for right now, you know, God bless him where he's at, you know, because how many guys get to the position that Josh Gordon was in, you know, in the substance abuse program and we never see him again. And it's rare that we see a guy this many years away from the last time he played, and he is back here now to try and get it done again. So, you know, I love the talent. I mean, the guy was on the process of being the number one wide receiver in the game. And I give him the dedication to, and look, there were a couple of missteps, obviously, but he got himself back into the good races with the league where they have given him this opportunity so look, everybody, and I saw so many things now when I was retweeting all the, you know, the gifts, uh, you know, the videos today from the little bit that he was in practice and everybody was in the consensus, you know, uh, we're rooting for him, we're rooting for him. Look, there's a bunch of jerks in this league right now and, you know, they serve six game suspension for stuff they should be in jail for. The only person Josh yep. uh, Josh Gordon ever was wrong to was himself. So look, I mean. I, I just want the world from. I think the guy's got the talent. We still got some other stuff to hit on, Jared. Come on, uh, we got a little while more. What you got for me?
1: <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, it was an interesting question that Stephen Thomas uh, asked, but I was going to oh, yeah. mention. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I, have but, the, I screenshotted yeah.
0: those.
1: Yeah, but I was going to mention. I was just looking at Josh's career. Think about this: there were there are people on the uh, Browns roster who are most likely in high school. Yep. When Josh, in 2013, had 87 catches, 1,600-plus yards, and nine touchdowns. Pretty and much Josh, everybody,
0: pretty much the first four or five guys you just selected
1: in April. Yeah, and Josh is 26 years old, right? But I watched you in high school are now his teammates. Just funny to think about. But, yeah, Steve asked That us, may be, uh, that
0: may be a helpful. Maybe it it'd be better for him where he can play the older brother role as opposed to the running mate role, you know?
1: Yeah, a little bit of leadership, a little don't bit of be me. expectations. Don't
0: be me. Jabril Peppers, don't be me. David Nojoku, don't be me.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it, it changes the role, and he's talked about in his interviews, listen, from a mental health perspective, from a counseling perspective, uh, his interviews have really been impressive uh, because I was one who, every time he spoke in the past, I, you know, I, I smelled the poop. Uh, it was just there. It was there on him. There was a bunch of BS. Uh, his interviews since then – it's just not there. You can see a lot of, of maturity. Um, and again, is it easy? No. On average, an addict really tries eight times before they're yeah, successful. I've used that's that's that before, average.
0: and I got it from you. I used it before. And I think that <laughs> I think the Players' Tribune piece was perfect because you want to know what? It was like, you want to know what? You all want to know how bad it was? All right. I'm going to air it out. This is how bad it was. And you want to know what? And with addiction – one of the biggest things is admitting all your faults and just how bad it was. And I read that and I was like, man, and, and that switched the light for me because, you know, I was always a guy, do not talk to me about Josh Gordon until I physically see the guy wearing a helmet and pads. But it, that was the first time where Josh Gordon actually put the focus on Josh Gordon.
1: It yeah, wasn't I mean, that, even, that. I was going to say, even in the un, un, uh, uh, uninterrupted piece, the interviewer, Asked, They were talking about when he got busted at, um, I believe it was Baylor, and the interviewer, he was talking about the guy who was going to bring him the clear, the drink, and the interviewer was like, oh, so you tested positive because your coach didn't come through, and Josh, without hesitation, no thought, nothing, said, no, I tested positive because I was using or I was smoking, however he said it, and that for me was like light bulb, like, there was no – he didn't allow the, the interviewer, the guy with the power that was going to try to spin this. Yeah, it wasn't your fault the coach. He didn't let that dude step in and say that. He's like, no, I tested positive because I was using drugs. Like, that's how it works. Like, that was an amazing thing because I can tell you from enough sources, Josh Gordon traveled with the team with enough clear that he could uh, – something to dilute his system, that, that kind of stuff, so that he could – get as high as he wanted, drink as much as he wanted, and still get away with it. I, I can tell you that that is, uh, I've got enough sourced information on that, that for years that was true of Josh Gordon. For him to say that is, is a new step for him and something that gives me confidence that I did want to talk about Josh Gordon uh, before he even put the helmet back on.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, and look, and, you know, you, it could have been so easy to just say, you want to know what? Well, look at where Baylor's at now. And he could. Right. It would have been so easy to blame Baylor because, I mean, how that program's—you know—I know Matt Rule. I met him at Temple's pro day a couple of years ago. I think he's the man for the job. I don't know what in the world possessed him to take on that task. <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a job nobody wanted. But he, you know, and that's that could have been the addict. And actually, it would have been almost one where he could have gotten away with it. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, it's Baylor, but you want to know what? He put the onus on himself. That was truly, truly impressive. Uh, all right, let's go here. Uh, you know, some 17. Who's catching your eye so far this year?
1: You know, for me, um, I just love watching the speed of the defense. Um, and so I think, like everybody, Miles Garrett obviously has just been amazingly impressive. In a small uh, sample size, you know. In you a got. very small sample size. But there have just been so much talent uh, up front. Again, I'm not. The guy who looks per, for perfection is just not the way I think about almost anything in life. I know there are a lot of fans who that's important. They want a complete fill-in-the-blank, whatever it is. For me, it's not been. Uh, Larry Ogunjobi has looked amazing uh, during his time. Trevin Coley, Danny Shelton, Emmanuel Ogba, Miles Garrett, heck, Carl Nassib. Um, they've really shown a ton on that defensive line. So even though Greg Williams brings a lot of pressure, I love what I saw from the defensive line. The Browns, uh, and an old colleague of mine, Andrea Hanks, who does a great job in all the I different areas, know Andrea. She, she, she wrote an article for the OBR a year or so ago and basically broke down that the Browns have never, since their return, stopped the run. I mean, it just never has happened. They don't do that. And so all of a sudden, they've added all this young talent. There's no veteran. They didn't bring in any, I mean, Des Bryant's not here anymore. Um, they didn't keep anybody around. They have a bunch of first, second, and third-year players on the defensive line, along with the linebacking core, that are stopping the run. We've never seen that in Cleveland since they've returned. Like, yeah, do we want a quarterback? Sure, that's great. Do we want an offense that's going to score a lot of points? Sure, that's great. How about the fact that we're stopping the run, For the first time in some of these people's lifetime, the Browns have stopped the run. And so while, again, we know the the limitations and the deficits and all of that, um, really the defense um, in that way has really been exciting to me. Uh, Jason McCourty looked like he hit the fountain of youth. Um, I really like what Mike Jordan has done in his very limited time. I still think we need a number one corner, whether that's uh, Tremaine Johnson, which is just an assumption because of his relationship.
0: That's the way I'd go. I, uh, you know, because you talk about the picks, and everybody wants to always talk draft. There's 80 million of cap space here, kids. <laughs> we got to put that somewhere. So you know what? Go get an established cornerback, and this cornerback crew is good. So why bring in a kid who may not work out? Go bring in somebody that you know can get the job done.
1: Absolutely, and the other cool thing about that salary cap space and Browns fans aren't going to love me saying this, we actually have players that we need to spend that money on soon. We had it with Joel Batonio, Christian Kirksey. Those were two last year. We actually have players that deserve uh, big contracts coming up. Danny Shelton will be one of them. Obviously down the road, Agba and Garrett and all that kind of stuff. But there's actually people who are going to deserve that money on the roster, which is you know kind of really exciting because uh, we haven't really had second contract players. Joe cool. Hayden basically was it. Uh, and Joe Thomas, those two Joes were really the only second contract players the Browns have had over the past maybe decade. And so um, the fact that we have some second contract players coming up, it means we have a we have really this off to spend the money uh, on a couple free agents again wherever we wherever we want to go. Um, but after that, there's a bunch of players who are going to deserve second year contracts, and that's something that needs to be celebrated.
0: No, I agree with you there. Um, before we wrap this up, uh, look, the joy of this is right now you're looking at, I guess it's what, six picks in the top <laughs> 65, which which is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, highlights and positions, a couple guys you want here. I mean, this is, and the best part about this is, and look, at Houston, yes, Tom Savage won last week. I don't think that's going to be the norm. <laughs> so I think the Houston pick's coming down. So you're looking at four in the top. 40, and then six in the top, 65. Give a couple names, maybe some positions that you're looking for here. I mean, because it is so much fun. And this is – Stephen Thomas, he should be so much higher that, you know, I bring up this account all the time, you know, Brown's mock draft. It's He does this every day, and he always tilts it and tweaks it. You know, one of these – if he added 365 – One day he might actually have the right one. It's almost like playing the pick six.
1: Absolutely. We're actually – I'm compiling that data in an Excel spreadsheet so that we can do some really interesting things at the end of this process of, of what has he done, what does it look like. Where have players kind of risen and fallen, and some of those kind of things? But when I look at the the draft, there are a couple positions that I'm really interested in. There's a bunch of players. Um, again, I don't know about Kaiser. I like accuracy more than other people. With eighty uh, million
0: with eighty million in cap space and with twelve draft choices, you were a fool not to hedge
1: your bet at quarterback. Yep, exactly. I don't. Again, that could be Kirk Cousins. I don't. I don't totally see it, but fine. Um, but for me um free safety is something that I pounded the table for last year I thought it was an amazing free safety class it's taking nothing away from Jabril Peppers David Njoku or Deshaun Kaiser Um, but one of those picks for me needed to be a free safety Um, and they're
0: playing Jabril out of position I feel bad for him I was terrible on him during the draft process everybody knows it I got hounded by Michigan people people in Jersey were hounding me but he's not playing the position that you expect him to play and i feel terrible for the kid cuz no rookie should be played out of position and expect to expect to, to succeed yeah I and
1: mean, he he's being played out of position but you haven't heard him complain he works his tail off Handled he's like a, a pro yeah he's handling like a pro and so um, I would love to see a free safety. Um, you know, if I I can just kind of run through a mock in my head at least of the first few picks. Let's go. I, I would love to see Minka Fitzpatrick. I think you can use him in all kinds of positions. Allows Jabril Preppers to move all over the place. Again, bring in Tremaine Johnson and bring in Minka Fitzpatrick, and I think your defense isn't done. You always want to add, add edge players, but I'm good to go on the defensive side of the ball. So get me that. Um. Get me uh, with the Houston pick. If you have to go in this order, I don't really care. Figure it out. Get me Lamar Jackson. Get me Josh Rosen. Get me even Baker Mayfield, who I know some people are higher on. I have maturity questions, um, not just because he's grabbing his crotch and all that bull crap. Uh, But get me a quarterback either with the number one pick or the Houston pick. For Um, me, it's uh, Josh.
0: For me, it's Josh Rosen. It's (laughs)
1: Rosen. Yeah, and I can see that. Um, And I have zero problem. Honestly, I have zero problem with all three.
0: No, I agree. I'm not
1: going to argue there. Nope. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see someone like Ron Jones. I, uh, we need a running back. That's really, really obvious. Um, and so, and then we need a wide receiver. And so someone like Dante Pettis. Um, love someone who can run really, really crisp routes. Um, has good hands. Those kind of things. I I value route running in hands. Uh, shorter quickness kind of goes in the route running. Um, over speed and size. Um, I don't care if he can run really, really fast. Sammy Coates, Ricardo Lewis. Uh, if you can't catch the ball, it doesn't matter to me. And it's harder to get separation in the NFL if you can't run good routes. So give me someone like Dante Pettis. That might change if Josh Gordon flunks up, uh, because you maybe want to go with a bigger outside receiver. Uh, and then honestly, you have that extra, that fifth kind of second round pick. I would look for an off- offensive tackle just for the long term. Joe has been great. Um, but can you find a developmental prospect, a pretty high one? Um, so that you can start to develop him. He doesn't need to play right away. I think that's one way you can go with these extra picks is, you know, there's actually not a ton of roster spaces available. So if you're going to have somebody, why not have a high-level backup tackle? Because Spencer Drango and his concrete feet aren't going to work against speed rushers. So if Joe goes down or if Sean Coleman goes down, you actually have a really solid player who can step in, but who can also learn behind Joe and can step in. Hey, I don't care. Three years down the road, four years down the road, you have your left tackle kind of thing. And so that's really where I'm looking. Um, There are a lot of really talented prospects. I think, again, this year the draft lines up with what the Browns need and so um, it may be not as great as everybody wants it to be, but I think it really lines up really, really well, and the Browns are really um, moving in the right direction. you got to get the quarterback position right, but you could be the Colts and get the quarterback position right and nothing else, and it doesn't matter either. We know they've gotten the defense right. We know they've gotten the offensive line right. Now they just got to figure the rest out, but they're not far away. And
0: that's what I keep telling everybody, and for me coming into this and, you know, I was not watching Cleveland Browns games. Now I am. I I, I don't hate this product. I like the product. Um, I would like to see more from the running back position. Maybe it's less Crowell. And yes, some of it is game planning. But sometimes, uh, you know, uh, Isaiah Lee's you know yards on the field. That's okay. Uh, David and Nojoku to be watching the more plays than he's playing. That's terrible. I'm okay with the two tight end sets. I think Seth the Valve can be a weapon as well. I think that gives you another avenue to go as far as, you know, obviously Kaiser, you know, he's, he's better on the rollouts, the waggles, those type of things. Those guys should excel in that, Uh, you know, and some people, oh, well, you don't have to do too much with Duke Johnson. You know, uh, you save him for later, save him for later. It's the freaking NFL, save him for later. You know, I mean, that's not for long. Exactly. I mean, that's just mind boggling from that aspect. You know, Corey Coleman, you know, it's weird that he came back, had a good week and it didn't open things up otherwise. But look, the one thing I keep telling these guys, you take that Jacksonville game and just throw it to the side. It was a terrible matchup for a guy like Kaiser, Uh, you know, Jacksonville, their defense is their strong point. It just wasn't a good matchup. Uh, I think they did a good job in keeping the game as close as long as they did. You know, maybe some of that is to Blake Bortles, but it's also a credit to the defense in Cleveland. Uh, Look, it's not far away. I still think one or two wins are coming. You know, Cincinnati is a winnable game. Green Bay is definitely a winnable game. I don't care about Baltimore that they're 5-5. Five and five. They are the most disgusting-looking 5-5 <laughs> five and five team I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. So, but that type of stuff, you know, they still may end up here, you know, 2-14. and 14. I, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, obviously, me, you know, you want the draft choices. You want them as low as possible. 0-16 is the way to go. But you want to see these young kids maybe feel a little success, get a couple Ws. But Jared, this was a blast, bro. I'm gonna we're gonna have to work this out a little bit more here. You're gonna have to come back home.
1: By Absolutely, way, brother. We'll figure something out. Maybe we'll talk to David and see if we can uh, figure some stuff out later.
0: You <laughs> left, but by the way, you left this place a mess. You didn't clean anything up after you left. All your boxes are still here. Come on, man. You got to clean up a little bit, bro.
1: You know, sometimes you know that's that's for the new tenant to take over and. Uh, you know, but there's a few treasures laying around too. If you find those, uh, I guess you get to keep them too.
0: All right. Would well, you get your security deposit back? Because yeah, man, probably not. not. <laughs> <laughs> Jared, a blessed Have a great Thanksgiving, guys. Locked on Browns episode 120. Uh, Thanksgiving reunion. We're glad to bring Jared back. You know, guys. Like I said, Jared has been nothing but aces. You know about helping me promote the show and you know get me ingrated with all you guys, you Cleveland Browns fans. Everybody have a blast tomorrow. One thing I do want to stress, don't complain about the traveling. Don't complain about the family. Look, guys, there's some people tomorrow you may see for your holiday that you may never get to see again. The older aunts, the older uncles. So much can change within a calendar year. Enjoy the holiday. Embrace your families. Football, food, liquor. Have a blast, guys. Thanks so much for listening. We're going to get this puppy put up, and we'll have it out probably within the hour.